So guys, let's talk a little bit about Yard. You were just telling me before we started the stream, um, you had done the Ginger Baker tribute with with Steve Gadd earlier this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know, um, so Sonny Emery was there and- It was Sonny, yep. Kofi, Kofi Baker. Kofi Baker, yep. Kenny Jones, oh, Kenny Henry Jones. Spinetti. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and that was it. <laughs> That's plenty of good drummers though. Yeah. Ronnie Wood. Ronnie Wood was there. He's actually a drummer as well. Yeah, Ronnie was there. Yeah. We, we yeah. never let him near the kit in case he trashed it. That's a good idea. <laughs> but Ronnie can Ronnie can play a little bit. Um, right. he's yeah, on, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah, he's on uh he's on a, a Stones tune actually. That's um, right. I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I'm back in the days of Chooch, rest his soul. Um, Chooch had asked me to send him a, a couple of symbols to his studio in Ireland, I think. Yeah. And, um, and I did it through Bob, I did it through the office in London. And, uh, and I got a nice note from Ronnie and then I don't know how much later I, until I saw him in person again and, and Chooch was still around and Ronnie said, thanks. And, um, I, I just a quick Charlie story. This is funny. And Don, when you did, you guys did in, in Foxborough a few years ago at, at uh, the private party for, for the Kraft family. Oh yeah. The 150 person party on the 50 yard line. That was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah cool. So you would, you would left me in Charlie's dressing room and we were chatting and we went, had to go into Ronnie's room for a minute and Ronnie and he, Charlie introduced me, reintroduced me to Ronnie again. And, and Ronnie said, Oh, the Zildjian guy, the symbol guy, or the Zildjian guy. And Charlie yeah. says, not anymore. Now he plays him. <laughs> he quit. Now he plays him or something. Yeah, it was, you had to be there. Multi-talented at this point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I know a lot about how you guys, I think I know a lot about how you guys got started, but maybe you could, you could both talk about kind of how you got started doing what you're doing and what you do so well. And, you know, I, I only named a few guys that you've worked with, but maybe Don, you could talk about kind of how you got started in the business and. Sure. sure. Um, well, my dad's a drummer. That's where it starts. It starts right there. And there's, there's instruments in the house and there's, you know, drums are, my house was sort of the band room, you know, so started to uh, play a lot of music with a lot of people recording and gigging and touring with my own stuff. And then, you know, that doesn't pay the bills too much after a while. So uh, I started talking to some friends in the band NRBQ. So I looked after Tommy Artelino and bass player Joey Spompanato. Yeah. Played in, you know, Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, all that stuff. Um, worked with the Q for many years, slept in around there. Uh, moved on to Neil Young, was invited out to that, to check with Chad Cromwell. Yeah, yeah. Handful of, handful of good years there. Um, and then, you know, it just sort of rolls into all these other things you do. Start working with uh, Faith No More, Mike Borden, uh, My Morning Jacket, um, uh, Patrick Hallahan, and a bunch of studio stuff. And I was about ready to go back on the road um, with either Neil or Wilco or somebody. And uh, and our good friend Pierre de Beaufort, me and him had been playing music together for about, uh, about two, three years. And he says, why don't you come out with us instead? Yeah, it was a better gig waiting for you. So uh, that was that was the beginning of 2012. Um, yeah, and uh, you know I've moonlighted a couple of times, and, and Yards helped me out actually a couple of times with uh, um, with Faith No More helped me out there. 
so after a while you just you roll into that you know that's what yeah. you do. you're a musician so i'm a drummer drummer first and, and tech second you know but um that's kind of yep. what happened and you get into these little little bubbles with these production yeah. companies and touring and this guy calls you and this guy and, yeah, you know, and they're all great and i've been very fortunate to work for wonderful people but of course charlie's the best there's no doubt yeah, yeah. i'm a very dear friend you know well, I, I just got to say, I remember Pierre, I, I remember before I'd met you, Pierre had reached out to me about, um, and, and you'll remember this, that Charlie and Pierre had seen some splitting on the, um, around the bell or the, not the bell, but oh. the Charlie's flat ride, his beloved flat ride. Yeah. And they wanted to try to get one made up or just try to find one. And, and through, a, I, maybe he's watching right now, Bruce Wittet, um, a good friend, yeah. Canadian drummer, um, had yeah. one. And he was nice enough to send it, and I sent it on to you guys, and he gave it to Charlie. The the same symbol, but of course not the exact same sounding symbol because it's Sim similar, very similar. similar. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. eighteen inch sounds fantastic. Yeah, flat ride. But I, I remember Pierre telling me about you, and he said, he said you're gonna you're gonna love this guy. You know, he's he's. Uh, I know you guys go back a long way, and 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 the first time I met you was at the show in New Jersey in 2012, and. And he was right. I did love you. And I do. <laughs> Feelings mutual. It's all good. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, I don't think Charlie wants to mess around with anybody who's, who's not serious about music, you know, and who's there for the wrong reasons, obviously. That's why, you know, the, the circle of people that he keeps um, are, are genuine, genuine people, you know. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And Yard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, where do we, by the way, we have Don McCauley, who's Charlie Watts' drum tech, and, and as you said, many others, and Yard Ga Gavrilovic, did I, did I mess up the... Still messed it up. Still messed it up. <laughs> I'm, I'm too slow with the Rilovic part. Got to speed it up. Yeah. Uh, who's worked with more people than I can even think of, but... Danny, let me have one chance, John. One chance. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep rolling. Yeah. So I, Yard, I met you, Yard, I, I over thirty years ago, or about yeah. probably thirty years ago. But yeah, like it, it started before that for you, though. Obviously, like not that long before. Because I, uh, I played in bands, and um, I got to an age where I thought, yeah, I've got five kids here, got to go and earn a proper living. So I, I kind of gave up and plowed on with my construction business. Mm. And uh, you got to do what you got to do. You can't dream. And, uh, and But my brother-in-law, who I played in bands with, he uh, he was in the forerunner of Iron Maiden, a band called Urchin with Adrian Smith and Dave Murray played yeah. in bands from school. And Dave left to join Maiden. And Andy took his place. And it kind of all hooked up from there. And then... Uh, so, you know, I've known all that lot since late 70s. And uh, so it transpired that uh, as the years went on, he, he played, he was Corey Hart's guitar player on the first Defence album and ah. did the US tours. Then he joined Visage FM and then, you know, he did a lot of session work and things. And, um, and he was working with Zach, with Roger Daltrey, and uh, and then he worked with Entwistle as well, you know, and and that's how I kind of got in really. And then um, I ended up working for Zach. I was I was fitting out Trident Studios in London, mm -hmm. 
when Adrian was doing his solo album because he, he kind of quit Maiden for a while. And uh, I was in there doing some alterations and stuff. And that's where a lot of the Genesis and early Queen albums were done, all that stuff. And um, it's quite a famous studio. Yeah. And and then I, you know, Zach said to me, would you come round to my place and do some work? So and that's how we got to know each other. And that was all through my brother-in-law. So really the catalyst of what I do is it comes from Zach and Andy, wow. you know, through, through their contacts. Because Andy used to live with us at different times and all that stuff, you know. He was, he was uh, great to have around with the kids and they loved him being there. Yeah. So it kind of, then we started doing pub gigs, you know, and Zach said to me, do you want to do a gig on in Camden? Yeah, you know, on, on on Saturday or Friday night, because I had a, a big van, so I go down to his, throw his stuff in, and pick up the rest of the stuff. And, I, and the more I did, I thought, yeah, I like this. And uh, and then someone said to me, "We think you ought to do this. We think you'll be good at it." And then uh, the more I did, the more I enjoyed, and and I worked it. So I'd go on tour, I'd come home, and just carry on with my construction business. And, and do that chop and change around. Yeah. Um, and as time went on, and then I was working with Zach's band Face, which was prior to his Who gig. And with Dan, Dan who works for Eric, he's um, we've worked together for thirty years, and uh, you know he's, we've kind of done every band together. You, you name a band, and it's like me and him because he'd be my first phone call yeah. if I was doing if I was doing a production gig. Dan would always be my first phone call, you know, because he's he's so cool. He's never loses his yeah, never loses his temper with anyone. He's always the same mood, and it's great, you know. And you need people like that around you. You can't have anyone temperamental; it drives you crazy, right? And um, and and that was it. And we we kind of grew together, you know. And um, it's great seeing him do well, and uh, so. After The Who, then in 96, we were at Hyde Park with Eric Clapton as headline and, and The Who doing Quadrophenia. And, um, and we Jack did that. And that's, that and, yeah, and that's where I first met Steve Gadd. Ah, okay. And he came over to Zach's kit to have a look. You know how inquisitive he is. Yeah. And, um, yeah so I, I took him round behind the curtain and gave him a few pointers to push his career on. <laughs> Steve, you'll never earn a living doing this. This is what you need to do. I've got my <laughs> practice pad out and some sticks. <laughs> Showed him a few chops. And, uh, <laughs> and the funny thing was, is that I already knew two Steve Gads. One was the singer where I grew up in a band called Stray. Yeah. And they, they were quite a big band in, in the 70s. And Andy Fraser from Free went to the same school as him down the road from me. And um, I'm a huge Free fan, so I'm a big Simon Kirk fan. Yeah. And and anyway, you know, I met Steve. And then I think it was a little while later, they asked me if I'd go to Japan with Steve and Eric, you know, and we've been together since then. Wow. You know? And it's, it's the luck of the draw. And then once you work, you know, once you work for these people, it opened so many doors because they think, well, if he works for him, yeah. he'll be all right. Yep. So you don't really have to do too much. You just have to turn up, do what you do, and they kind of leave you alone. 
you know, but the art of it is to get along with them. And that's the main thing. If they don't like you, you could be the finest drum tuner in the world. You won't stay. Yeah. You know, yep. It's like choosing your friends. So that's, no, that's really yep. I was going to say, knowing both of you guys, I, I mean, you're both amongst the very best in the business, but your, your personalities are such that, like you say, I, I, knowing Steve as I know him and Charlie, that you guys are like the perfect, you know, guys to, for, for these guys to depend on every day, you know? That's because we like funny people. <laughs> <laughs> Both entertained, you know? It's like watching Cheers. <laughs> We're the ones that have to hang around all day. So I just, I, I, I was thinking about this this morning, Don, when I was out running, in fact, you asked if I've been out running <clears throat> and knowing we were going to be talking today. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that last year you pulled off what has to be, I mean, as far as Dr Charlie Watts geeks like myself are concerned, the biggest coup of all and getting, I won't say getting Charlie, but you, you, oh, you got Charlie to try out coded ambassador heads. And you sent me a picture of his drums just to, to show me the kit. And I, my first response in the text was, whoa, he's playing coded ambassador heads. And you, you said, yep, I, I, I forget how you, maybe you can tell the story, how that happened. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely, a, it was a, it's a cautionary move. There's no <laughs> doubt. A very cautionary, I mean, you have to do because, uh, you know, you, you don't do big changes with Charlie. But I did know that obviously in the 70s, you know, in the '60s, he was playing. Well, in the '60s, he's playing the more the smooth whites and stuff. But yeah. you know, he has been on the he's been on the ambassador before. And we were going in the studio the second or third time after doing. Um, sounding great. The black dots were fantastic, but they're they're really great for live performance. You know, and that to project. But when yeah. you get in the studio, they end up, they start to sound like glass. You know, they can really be harsh. Um, so I just said, let's just try it. Just, what do you think? And that's that's a huge move to do that. So we tried it. Um, he loved it instantly. Uh, the first thing he said was, my floor time is back. You know, so I knew I was in the right, I had made the right decision. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't much of a change, obviously, but. You know, a couple of big things that did happen over past since 2012 was getting rid of the uh, the black dots on the bottom, doing yeah, you know, clear ambassadors on the bottom for more resonation and a little more projection, a little more tone. Um, and so we switched those over, and then yeah, switching over to the coded ambassadors, which are the same exact heads that are on there since the studio session. This whole last tour we did last year. He yeah. says, no, no, let's just do this. We'll, we'll switch them again when we go back to the studio or go on the next tour. But, um, I mean, they they both sound fantastic. And he can play anything. Obviously, he can play air drums, and he's going to sound fantastic. You know that. So, yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really great. It's nice. And the sound of them, just the Gretches, just, they just relate so well together. Well, you know, when I saw you last summer, I really could hear the difference. I mean, I know it was a football stadium and, yeah. and, and, you know, all the production, but, but to your point, you could, the toms, both the, the mounted tom and the floor tom, um, they just had so much more life to them. They really just were like, yeah, Definitely. yeah. A, a wider tuning range for sure. Definitely a wider tuning range and, and just warmer, just that yep. warmer seventies. I mean, 
you know, the, the guys with the, the guitar guys are so lucky because they can change out guitars per song. And Charlie's not about to change out snares per song. And, you know, <laughs> right. that's not, that's not oh, okay. thing, you know? I mean, so uh, there's a couple little changes, but, but they're, they're, they're minor changes you know, per, per song. But uh, I thought the, the ambassadors are kind of a great way to just round everything out, you know? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Hey, by the way, Pierre is watching. Oh, shit. Is he? He's right down the street. Pierre, we all send you our love, and we <laughs> promise we'll only say nice things about you yeah. now that you're watching. <laughs> While you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Yard, do you have a question? Um, I was just going to – let me just see if I can find that question. Um, oh, Vince is Vince Wilburn is asking, how did Charlie happen to add the Crash of Doom to his symbol setup? Hmm. Oh, man. How'd that how, – <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good one actually and that's the, the reason he got it and the reason he has it and he plays it every night is because it's a fantastic symbol and vince you know knew that he tested it he tried he checked these things out and uh he showed up with the prototype the original prototype for that symbol and Kristen, or kirsten in la uh lined us up with um with the crash of doom the 18 the wavy crash of doom the first one i don't think the 18s are available anymore i'm not sure but uh you know and it comes from vince so it's yeah it's as cool as it's gonna get yeah you know whenever whenever charlie has talked about that we did that that um modern drummer thing where we you know had a had a whole thing on his setup and when i talked to charlie about it I think I talked about it over the phone, but also up in Buffalo around that time. He always makes it a point to mention, you know, the symbol that Vince gave me. Yeah. It was Miles Davis' nephew. You know, it's like, it's... His birthday yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so it's a magical symbol it for really all is. those reasons. He, he hits it sometimes as like it's, a, like it's a snare drum. Every once in a while, he'll just revert over to that instead of the snare. Yeah. No, and I know that Dave Natal out front, in front of house, I know that he realizes that he's doing that. So at certain times, I know Dave's riding that fader, and uh, and it's fantastic. It really is. And, you know, it's a modest little setup, but look at those symbols; they're it's, it's intense. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's the good thing about the people we work for, is that they don't mess around. They kind of have what they like, and that's all they want. They don't yeah. want. They don't want to get bombarded with equipment and, you know, four hundred symbols in the lockup and all that stuff. No, they kind of they get their set together. Like Ginger Baker, he's still got most of the original symbols from back in, in the sixties. Yeah. And um, do you remember? I don't know if you remember John, but when I was at, doing the Cream shows in two thousand and five, we were at Madison Square Garden when. Jim McGaffey. Our friend Jim McGaffey <laughs> sent me an email. He said, he said, we'd like to send you some symbols for Ginger to try. And I said, yeah, okay. So a box of symbols turned up at rehearsals at the Sony place. And uh, so I took them out of the box and put them on the corner of the riser where he puts his shoes. And uh, they're just stacked up there. And he came in, he's like this. What's that? <laughs> I said, uh, Jim from Zildjian sent him along for you to try. 
in case you like them. And he just looked at me and went, nah, I've got my singles. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Straight back in the box. <laughs> I remember. I remember. You know what? I, I told Jim, Jim had the best intentions. God bless him. He know. did. Yep. And I said, it's, it's the same with all of them, with Gad and everybody and Charlie. They know what they like. Yeah. And they've got it. And they're not interested in anything else. Right. Right. But that's that's a good thing about, you know. And I think I process. think Jim made his way down to the show because he um he, he surprised did. me. Yeah. And you you took care of him and he surprised me when he got back with a he had one of the symbols that that Ginger said no thank you to he had signed to me. Yeah. Which was a, you know, very nice and I have it. Yeah. Yeah, I took him into Ginger's dressing room and introduced him and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I got to just quick tell you a funny Charlie story. And, and um, somebody's asked Mark Yule, I think Yard has asked, you, Mark. you know, Mark, he asked to tell yeah. your uh, favorite Steve Gadd story, which I'm going to have you do in one second. But yeah. um, when, when Chooch was, I keep talking about, you know, the great Chooch McGee when he was still around, he came to visit Zildjian. This was in the late nineties when the guys, when the stones were playing in Boston for a couple of days and I couldn't get Charlie to come down on that, on that particular time, but Chooch came down and we had just started really kind of making the Constantinople symbols. Um, and they were like the new hot thing. And, and yeah. so I'd talked to Charlie about them and he was anxious to, to try one, not for the stones, but you know, for his, his jazz gigs. And uh, so Chooch came down and this, remember John King? Young? Yeah. Yeah. I I know, yeah. John. Yeah. Yeah, John. John, yeah. John was our product specialist and you know, he was a former symbol tester. So he and, and I brought him down, brought Chooch down, and we went through a bunch of K-Cons. And, you know, John sort of steered him in a direction. And he ended up taking a couple or at least one of the K-Constantinopoles that was kind of on the heavy side. Honestly, I thought so. And so I went to see Charlie that night at the garden. And I bring John King with me. And I brought my son the night before, John Jr. So the first thing Charlie says is, where's John Jr.? And I said, Oh, he's he's home tonight. He has school tomorrow. So, you know, he's and and I said, but Charlie, this is John King, who works with me at Zildjian. He's the he's the product specialist. And Charlie said, are you the symbol tester? And he said, well, and, he, you know, John has this way about him. You know, if he were watching this, I think he'd laugh. But he has this very well, Charlie, uh, uh, I'm one of the mad scientists that uh, creates the symbols. And uh, I'm uh, I'm the guy that and Charlie says. Right. Yeah, you're the tester then. Well, you can have this back. <laughs> it's too heavy. I don't want it. Yeah. I've got I've got a couple of really good Charlie stories that just make me laugh. That's why we get on. We all have the same kind of humour. And uh, we were we were doing because our good friend, the late Bill Harrison, ah. who worked he worked for the Faces, the Hose. All that stuff, you know. Ringo, yeah. Yeah, he got he got me to look after Charlie when he was busy with Elton and Ray Cooper. And uh, so Charlie was playing with the Boogie Woogie band, ABC and D of Boogie Woogie. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're, in, we're in Vienna and uh, we're doing these small clubs, you know. And uh, so the guy who was the mayor of the town, not Vienna, it's another little town, but the guy who was the mayor of the town, he was the promoter. So on the second night, he came to the gig and he came in the dressing room. And anyone who knows me knows I don't eat asparagus and all that 
fancy stuff. I'd rather <laughs> eat cheap rubbish. And, uh, and Charlie <laughs> knew this. So <laughs> the mayor says, before you leave tomorrow, <laughs> before you leave tomorrow, I'm going to take you up into the mountains and treat you to a traditional Austrian meal. <laughs> Charlie looked at me and he went, God's going to love that. There <laughs> <laughs> hamburgers up there. Yeah. And another time we're in, we're in Austria because most of it was in Austria. And uh, this uh, <laughs> on the first night, Charlie said to me, he said, uh, when he went on, Backstage after sound check, he said to me, "Can you have a look at my pedal? Because he's got he carries two speed kings with him." He said, "I think it's got a squeak." So I said, yeah, "Okay." And we don't we never used to take anything with us, you know, no tech box, no nothing. It's just mm. a, a key in my pocket, and um, we just take his cymbals, the two pedals, and his stool. And uh, <laughs> so I went to the techs in the venue, and I said, "Have you got any WD forty?" And uh, he said, all I have is this. And he got a WD-40 felt pen. Ah. So that's all we had. So I went back and I tried rubbing it around all the various points. And uh, at the end of the gig, Charlie got off the kit and he came to me before he went to the dressing room. He said, yeah, did you oil the, the pedal? I said, well, sort of. He said, oh, it must be my ankle then. <laughs> 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 well, that's the great thing about him there's no drama yeah you know, it just oh. goes oh. with the flow that's you know it's just the best people are the best people yeah don you you gotta have a, a you gotta have a bunch of funny charlie stories and i don't mean to put you on the spot but anything you could tell us that you that uh you know there's yeah there's a lot there's <laughs> no doubt. Uh, some you can tell some you can't yeah you know, it's just been yeah, exactly, exactly. Tell us the ones you can't. <laughs> we'll save that for later on. What I guess, I guess one thing you know, there's a lot of things, little things, but little Stephen came out to visit one time, and he's on stage. I think it was 2012, 13, or something like that. And uh, he says, "Man, I always love your, I always love your uh, your snare sound. You know, it just sounds so good, Charlie." You know, and what what is it? He he points to me. He says it's his fault. <laughs> it's his fault. It's not my. I've I've nothing to do with it. It's his fault. And uh, yeah, you know, just a lot of little things. I mean, little little bits. It's the little things that happen throughout throughout the shows. Um, yeah. One time, my my dad was going through some uh, through some stuff, and he, uh, you know, I told him, you know, it's kind of bummed out. And he had met my dad a couple of times, you know, and and um. And they talk drummer stories, the two of them talking drums and stuff. And and they're playing their rehearsal or either in a rehearsal or a gig, and they're playing uh, Far Away Eyes. Mm. And it's just kind of a simple part, you know, and it's just hi-hat and side stick and kick drum. And he kind of waves over, waves me over, you know. Right? I think it was a gig. I think it was a gig, actually. Waves me over. And I'm like, oh, what's, what's the matter, you know? What's the matter? How's your dad doing anyways? Is he all right? Is your dad okay? You know? <laughs> Oh my god, man! He's like, he's the most unrock star rock star you'll ever meet. Yeah, yeah, and just, uh, yeah, you know. And I'm getting used at the time. I'm just getting used to the sort of. I've had a lot of British friends over the years, but 
getting used to every day for the next three, four months, the British wit humor, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He knew that. He knew that. And so he's kind of putting me uh, yeah. in the hot seat. It's, it's wonderful. One of the funniest things he ever said to me, I was, <clears throat> this is, I don't know how many years ago, I was in London on a business trip. Kelly was with me and, and, um, it was, it, I think it was like, I'd been there for three or four days yard for one of the, the artist days we used to have, you know, yeah, yeah. and then from there I'd go to Frankfurt to music mess. So I'd have the weekend sort of free and Kelly wanted to go to, um, Portobello road, you know, the big sort of, that's where I grew up. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The big outdoor shop area, you know, so yeah, it's yeah. a Saturday and Charlie, I'd been in touch with Charlie. Drums there anymore. What's that? Me. That's why there's no vintage drums there anymore. Ah, Cause yeah, because Yard, right. Yeah, sorry. Well, he no, he had said to me, he had said to me the day before. He he said, well, you know, ring me on Saturday and and you know maybe we can meet for lunch or something. And so I called him while I was, you know, Kelly was looking at some stuff, and I'm just sort of walking around. I I ring him up, and he he was really loud, and he said, "Where are you?" And I said, "I'm on Portobello Road." And he said, "Oh God, I hope you get out alive." <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just thought that was the funniest thing. God, I hope you get out alive. Yeah. Well, it's it's a great area for musicians. You know, everyone used to live around there. Yeah, you know, and yeah. you know, it's it's kind of it's the hub. And Island Studios was there. Where all the great recordings were. You know, with Free and all that. And I, I remember, and I remember walking into the studio. A lot of the free stuff was recorded and just in the middle of the room, not believing that I was finally in there after all these years. You know, it's just that's what moves me doing this. It's like, yeah, and standing on the same stage as certain people with massive gigs, you know, you think, yeah, finally. And that's that's what keeps it. It's never a question of money. And, And the great musicians never think of money. They just think, I want to play. And it should be the same for techs. People start talking to me about money and stuff. It's just like, forget all that. There's, these are going to be times that you'll never, ever recreate, you know, right. no matter how much money you get. And uh, and that's what keeps people going. That's why they want to do it. Well, you know, you guys, you two guys, and last week, Harry McCarthy and Jeff Chonis. I mean, and I, I don't mean to leave you anybody know? out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, there's a lot, lot of great drum techs and techs that, that – are, are in this category, but, but you four, yeah. Harry and Jeff last week and you two, I mean, I, when I think of like, not only like the dream gigs, but like you guys work for bands that are, you know, perennial, like, I mean, when everything starts happening again, um, it's just, and, and the, the best, and my point to all this is the best thing about it is both of you guys like realize how, I mean, you're, you're hard workers. You, you know, you're the best at what you do. You work your butts off. Um, and you totally appreciate how great the gig is that you have. You know what I mean? It's like you don't you have to. Yeah. And it's a hard gig, man. I, I that's, you know, knowing what you guys do and and knowing you guys and all the texts that I know, like from load in at, at, you know, whatever, if it's eight or nine in the morning until if it's a one night or, you know, and you're loading out at midnight. I mean, could be the day before. Yeah. 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 It's it's. Yeah, it, it's a there's, there's a lot to it. There's no doubt. I mean, and with you think you know with the bigger bands that um, it's a little bit less of a workflow, but in fact, 
Uh, and it, sometimes it is in that sense because they do part the ways. When you go to a festival stage, yard, yard you'll know this. You go to a festival at a Glastonbury or something, uh, or wherever, we take over the stage. Yeah. The stage is ours. So we can, you know, it's our, it's our, yeah. we build a, we build a little mini city every time yeah. we come in. So it's comfortable. It has but, to be comfortable. Uh, yeah. It's got to yeah. be comfortable. But really the yeah. easiest part of the day, I think for probably both of us, or, you know, some of the professionals is, is building the kit. You know, yeah. we, we've done all this prep work on the, on the drum set. We know, we feel anyways, that we know it's really solid. And, yeah. uh, so the building the building the kit is really not a big deal. It's the it's the mannerisms throughout the day and it's guarding that set like with your life. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. Don't yeah. let anyone near it. <laughs> and that's because yeah, you have to be a good steward. You have to look after these guys' stuff because they're off doing all sorts of other things. But like with the stones, it's like a festival. Every show is like a festival. Um we could be inside and doing a 3000 person small gig, so to say, yeah. still like a festival atmosphere or 150,000, half a million in Cuba or whatever they call the numbers. It, it's, it's maddening. Yeah. <laughs> so you well, just gotta keep cool, you know, cause you don't yeah. do camp. We don't, we yeah. don't do camp. You can't. No, but the thing that sticks with me is if you do ever get slightly fed up, you just got to look into the crowd, and you might be at Wembley or wherever, and there's not one person in that crowd that wouldn't want to swap places with you. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's, that's where you think life's not too bad. You know? yeah. and, and I've made some fantastic friends all around the world, you know, that you think of and smile. You know, I get to, even my son, you know, when he's on the road, he comes home and he says, oh, so-and-so said to say hello, and you know, from whatever country. And if you treat people nice, they fall over themselves to help you, you know. And a lot of the crews, you know, they're not idiots. You know, I know a lot of the crews and I know who they used to work for before they wanted to stay more local. And don't presume that everyone at a gig is an idiot, you know, because they're not. They're all good at what they do and that's why they're there. And uh, one thing I do hate about certain things in the music biz is is a certain core of people that are quite arrogant and you mean me yard are you you're are you talking about me again <laughs> well <laughs> i hope not no but no no it's it's there's a certain core of people that kind of think because they work for a certain band that they're the yeah. top of the tree and it's rubbish you know i've met young kids well take for instance neil who works for matt with pearl jam mm. We were at Hyde Park and, and he knew my son. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd never met Neil before, but I love Matt. You know, we've, we've done gigs together before. And and when he was working, because we had risers next to each other, and I was setting up, funny enough, Mike Boarding's kit. And that's the gig you came to, Don. That's, that's, yeah, with, that's you, with your wife. And, um, <laughs> and you, bailed uh, you bailed me out on Hyde Park. I really appreciate it. Yeah. That. I was able and to then, stage, though, that day, so that was nice. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Helped you out there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> funny enough, on a different subject, a friend of mine was Jimmy's guitar tech, and we did a tour with The Who and Jimmy Page and the Black Crows. 
and uh, and the, you know Jimmy's guitar tech job was coming up, and I offered it to my son, and he said, he said I can't do it, and I said, what do you mean you can't do it? Because Jimmy was his hero, you know, he's a guitar yeah. player. Okay, he said, I just can't do it because he admired him so much, he couldn't, he didn't want to do it. And and that's how you got to be. That's how you got to feel. Mm. You know, it's not just a gig. It's like it's Jimmy Page. <laughs> you know, and yeah, that's yeah. what keeps you going. You know, yeah. same with all the drummers. You know, it's like whoever it is, Vinny, Steve. It's like, yeah, you know, and you're sitting a few feet from them, watching all this brilliance. And once you lose that, it's time to go. Yeah. With any job, when you when it becomes a job, it's time to go. But I've had a great time, so you know. But yeah, it was good. Very, very humbling. That's that's for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Working with, uh, some of the best, and and your and the people you admired all your life, as a musician or just a music fan. Yeah. Either, right? yeah. Um, it comes down to you have your job to do, and and that's the most important thing. Like you'll say, job well job. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or we say job jobbed. It's a construction saying, right, job jobbed, let's go. <laughs> but it, that's what it's about, you know. It's it's like having that privilege of knowing them and becoming friends. And and people have said some really lovely things to me over the years, you know, especially Gad. Mm. You know, he's got a heart of gold, yeah. as you know. You know, he, he's just... You know, like when my mum died, they're the things I think of when my mum passed away just before Ed Whistle. And I sent a I sent a note to the management and said, I'm not coming on the US tour. And and Steve called me, you know, left a lovely message. And and that's what it's about. It's about that personal, personal touch. You know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of great drummers around, but it's the it's the personal thing as well, you know. Yeah. You've got a brilliant drummer who's not so nice, <laughs> you just don't go back again. You know? Yeah. But, but, you know, this is my 24th year with Steve, and it's been great. You know, he's he's an absolute gentleman. He sure is. He's, yeah. he's the best. As is Charlie. And, and, Yard, you have a question from Michael Welch. Uh -oh. Any any feast, well, any Phil Seaman stories? Yeah. No, I never met Phil Seaman. Ah. That was before my time. Okay. Um, that was that was Ginger and Phil in the early yeah. days. So they, I think they shared a flat together and all that kind of stuff. So I I think I came into the music business at the right time for me. You know, after running my construction business and dealing with people, that was because when I do production, it's all about dealing with people and get trying to get people to do their best for you and treating them right. So when you call them again, they they want to show up. Yeah. So, but I think that experience and, and all the things you collect along the way from your childhood, uh, what makes you what you are when you finally get to where you want to be, if you understand that. And speaking of Harry McCarthy, by the way, he's he's watching and he says hello to you guys. <laughs> Hi, Harry. Hi, Harry. <laughs> We're all waving to you, buddy. We're all part of the same club. I know. <laughs> tough to uh it's tough to top you know i mean harry and jeff last week was was pretty yeah. great and i think we're right there. yeah we're hey, giving them a run for the money today well I, I saw i saw jeff after many years in yeah. uh in holland 
he was with Ringo and uh, I was with Jeff Beck and um, Vinny. Yeah. And we were on before Richie and on they went. And I just got a, a wave and that was it. <laughs> we were going off and they're going on. But uh, it's good to see him, you know. He's, he's kind of, when I worked for Zach, you know, Zach, and it's, you know, Zach always regarded Jeff, and I hope he's listening, as the best drum tech in the world. Yeah. And I didn't take it as a slight. I thought, yeah, fair enough. I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me. And he just said, when he, you know, when he worked with his dad and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. He just knows what he's doing. Yep. But so do you. And by the way, um, speaking of Zach, my friend Penny Lane is asking if, if you have any Zach who stories <laughs> that you can tell. <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, no, I, no, I can't, I can't think nothing springs to mind. Yeah. Um, just a great family, you know, and, uh, you know, the whole family, you know, brothers, sisters, everybody, you know, it's just, they're just so down to earth, the same as, you know, Gad and Charlie and all them, you know, they just, you wouldn't think if you'd never seen a picture of Charlie or anybody and just met them in a pub, you just go, yeah, he's all right. You wouldn't, you know, yeah, that's the thing. And that's the great thing about it. But, um, no, I haven't got any Zach stories really. I mean, we, we did the sound checks for the who, um, so it, we didn't really see each other until the band turned up for the gig. Mm. And it's the same with Eric. You know, we do the sound checks, and get the levels up, and kind of stuff. And apparently, I hit of a similar weight to Gad. And that's a good thing about working with good technical crew because they said to me, "The good thing about you doing this is you hit of a similar weight to Steve." I can see it on my desk. Mm. And I said, are you saying I play like Steve? He said, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, ah. <laughs> you would have done it. You said, well, I'll do it for a few quid cheaper than Steve and you could have me. Oh, I have offered to the band before, you know. I said, right, let's talk money. <laughs> I, oh. I had a great time. I was in Japan and Steve didn't come to the sound check and nor did Eric. And we were doing multiple nights at the, at the Buddha Khan and stuff. And um, so the Andy Fairweather Lowe said, jump on the kit, we want to have a run through sunshine. And um, and I played I played the kit and, I, you know, I, I've been watching Ginger since, you know, 68, first time I saw him on TV. And it was just like, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and I played in covers bands where you try to emulate the person playing. And, um, and at the end of the... The sound check, the band, I had Joe Sample in the band as well. They all high five me. <laughs> <laughs> so I just said, come on, let's talk money. <laughs> and then Steve came in and I was walking past the dressing rooms and he shouted out, Ginger. <laughs> so they must have told him back at the hotel. <laughs> Did I see that gig yard at the Budokan when we came out? To uh, yeah, it wasn't that one though. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, because Eric used to do, we'd go to Japan every two years and then he'd do multiple shows at the Budokan and Osaka. Right. And, but we'd probably do about seven or eight nights at the Budokan. Oh, yeah. But I love Japan. Yeah. yeah. You know, I always say it, but if you want to get anything done and done well, go to Japan. You'll see how things should be. Music you know? fans, too. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's hey, just so, great. I, you know, I, I know um, I'm just looking to see if there's, I, I know I got to think people have questions about Charlie's vintage Gretsch kit. And I don't want, I don't want too much time to go by before we uh, talk about that. I'm just looking to see, but I was going to ask you, Don, how, you know, I mean, for people that don't know this, you know, Charlie plays a 57 Gretsch round badge kit, 57 ish. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how much, how much do you have to sort of maybe not on a daily basis, weekly, or how, however often do you have to sort of maintain the kit that's that old on the road? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. There's a, uh, it's preserving, isn't it? You know, there's, there's a restoration and there's preservation, right? And um, with that particular kit, uh, I've 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 gone through it quite a bit. I've actually um, I've actually recut the bearing edge on the bass drum. On I should say on all the, the two toms and the bass drum, the resonant side was all yeah. up. you know the, the plies are coming apart, and so I had to fill those, cut the bearing edges, um, put a wax finish on to keep the to keep the you know, finish from peeling off. Yeah. Fortunately, just keep going. So there's things like that. And so you get to the nuts and bolts of it, packing the, uh, packing the lugs with felt, um, making sure that all the springs are working. I mean, that's, that's what I can do on the you know, time off. Yeah. Really yeah. get on the interior of that kit and make sure that it's, that it's solid. Um, and then there's the little things, you know, with, with the, with the set, make sure all the, Make sure the rims are, are true. Make sure everything is not warped so that if you're having the, the floor tom did, the rim was warped, so I had to change yeah. all the rims out. Um, things are like all that. all the other hoops original on that kit? All the other hoops on the kit? Are, all, yeah. all the hoops original to the kit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah except, except for one of the floor tom, which was uh, the top, which was top. really out of whack. You know? yeah. um, I still have it. I'm still working on flattening it out, actually. Um, <laughs> And Charlie probably didn't realize that was preventing it from really tuning truly, right? Exactly. Probably... Yeah, the tuning range was very limited at that point. Yeah. So it's things like that, you know, it's just maintenance. But it's it's an iconic kit, and I don't want to change anything. It's yeah. The whole thing is I don't want to, I don't want yeah. to change a single thing for him to notice at all. I want him to be able to just have fun and play. Um, for him and Keith to vibe. That's yeah. That's yeah. everything. That is everything. You know. Um, so, but with the kit, you know, there's other things, the hardware, the techware stands I had, uh, I, it was a rehearsal and one of the, the tilter tops broke and his China crash came flying into his, into his lap. You know, there's nothing I could do about it. It's, yeah. So I spent a bit of time with the JB weld and trying to, trying to get it, uh, solid and correcting all that. And I said, you know, this is just, we can't do this. We have to make sure we get something new. So I called Gretsch and I said, can you guys remake these, you know, uh, recast and everything? They couldn't do it. Mm. I said, you know, give us a year. I, I don't have a year. So I called, uh, I called Mike Edson, Mike uh, over at Trick, the guys from Trick. And I said, can you recreate the tilter tops for the, uh, for the Gretsch techware? And they did, and they did it in speedy time. And wow. they bought airplane aluminum. So now I know. I know each and every one of those tilter tops in the cymbal stands. They're brand new. They're not going anywhere. And they look identical. You know? Yeah. Wow. But little things, you know, there's little things. His seat. Yeah. I got a, 
You gotta keep putting that electrical tape on the, the e tape on the seat. He doesn't he doesn't want to change the I've got three brand new ones ready to go. Yeah. Old yeah. It's a it's it's a mojo thing. And I don't blame him. I I, I find that that's uh you play what you love and what you've known. Yeah. Yeah. So for everybody so, watching yeah. what, what Don's talking about is Charlie's Ludwig Atlas drum throne that's seventies, sixties or seventies? Early seventies, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which we also have three more of those in backup too, yeah. Yeah. And so let, let me ask you, when you when you recut the, the edges on the toms, did you cut them to what the Gretsch spec was? Like the exactly. original? Yeah. Exactly. The exact 30 degree. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. Not going to change that at all. I just wanted to make sure that they were true. Um, uh, and just get, and I'm, I'm a woodworker. I've been a custom furniture builder for 30 plus years. And so I, I, I had confidence in doing that. I restored vintage drums. I've been doing that yeah. for years. So. I mean, there's, good, there's no doubt you got Charlie Watts's drums in your hand. And, uh, my good, yeah. my good yeah. friend Joe Montaneri actually helped that's, me out. With that's that played. Well. That's played in our favor, having a woodworking background. Yeah, yeah, yeah both of you guys, right? Definitely. Yeah, so I'm a carpenter joiner, and yeah. you know, my shop's all set up. We cut bass drums down and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. And and it's it's no problem, you know. But. Uh, you got to be careful yeah. when it belongs to someone like Charlie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the old favourite: measure twice, cut once. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the thing with his, uh, you know, with his symbol too, with that with an eighteen-inch B eight symbol, um, which we haven't determined if it's a UFIP or not. It's a, you know, yeah. called the Golden Bell. Indeterminate, yeah. Yeah, and so you know, we're still still searching out like what it actually, uh, who actually made it, and talking. Actually, talked to the guy from Paris from uh, the battery. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and because yeah. we think it could might it could be a Tosco, right? There's a good chance. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. But you know that interior, the, the the round hole, there is a small little little hairline crack. It has a view. I've been watching yeah. it every day. I mean, that's the thing. You have a magnifying glass, and you're looking at these things and looking for hairline cracks in the in the bass drum pedals. Yeah. Yeah. Better rebuilding all those pedals, yeah. and uh, you're looking for you're looking for the stuff to make sure it doesn't break. Yeah, if it's if it's on, if it's on the edge, if it's on the edge of a symbol. I, when I put the symbol on, I spin it, and yeah. then see if I can feel anything. You know, because after yeah. time you can't see it, but you can yeah. feel it. Yeah. Well, this is actually on the interior of the um, yeah the of the hole. That's it. Yeah, the mining yeah. hole. Yeah, yeah. So and do you do you guys uh, at the end of a gig? Do you, um, as you're, as you're, as you're striking the kit, do you look at all, do you look at the symbols like after a show too, to no. look for I, yeah. I don't, I, yeah. we have to pack away as fast as possible. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I have to break Steve's kit down and quickly get it into cases onto the truck, depending on the truck pack and everything, but you want to get off anyway. Cause, cause you've got all the lights coming down and yeah, you know, yeah. it just gets awkward. So you, you just want to, just being professional, you know. I, I mean, it doesn't take that long to do a kit, but um, you just get in a routine, and that's the way it's got to go, you know. Yeah, yeah. But no one will wait for you. I do look at that symbol every night. <laughs> I, bet, I, I bet you do, and I bet you look at it as, as made China to the one over town. Not as much because not as much. You know, we we can get those. Uh, there's a we have three vintage uh, white white mark UFIP. But then there's the red ones. I mean, there's six or so ready yeah. to go. I've, I've tested those, ear tested them. You know, 
yeah. uh, each and every time. But I, I, the only one I look at is his hi hat pedal and his and his uh, symbol. Yeah, his flat ride. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Michael Welch Don is asking you, and I know the answer, but I'll let you answer it. Um, what Charlie's hi hat clutch is? Hmm. Um, it's it's a Rogers, um, and it's the it's the vintage. 60s Rogers. Um, there's a handful of different ones for sure, but try to keep the same one that he's had on there every single time. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I do every single time. It's the same one. Yeah. Mm. That's actually something Bill Harrison, uh, a couple of things Bill Harrison told me before he got rest his soul, before he passed. He gave me the key, the key. And he says, This is the key. And that hi hat clutch right there. He's going to touch that every single day. He's going to touch it all day long. Don't ever change that. Do not change anything. And if you have to change anything, ask him. You know. Yeah. Yep. That, no, that doesn't yeah. change. Yeah. It's, the same. it's the same with Gad. You know? yeah. Even if I change his drum key, he, he'll go, I mean, where's the... <laughs> and you look, look around the kit yeah. for the key he likes. You know? And it, they're all Yamaha keys, but... Yeah. It's familiarity, and our job really is to make them comfortable. So when they get on the kit, everything's where it should be, yeah. sounding like it should, and then they do the gig. But you don't want anything to freak them out. You know, you get things. You know, yeah. like he he snaps the the bass drum pedal beta, you know, and it it just snaps right by the top of the pedal, and. Um, it's happened to me two or three times, so I always have a spare beater tucked in right near the bass drum. So if anything happens, you can quickly switch it out because he's so professional. He just switches his foot, his right foot, to his left pedal and carries on playing. <laughs> and I quickly whip it out. The, the broken bit falls out and I put the other one in. And it's just you've got to work with professionals, you know, that don't panic. The same as when he's playing and he'll say to me, he'll rub the top of the snare and he'll say, let's get the other snare up, this might go. And then I'll get it ready. And and there will go. When the song finishes, I'll get up to change it and go, no, I think we're all right for another song. Uh, he won't change it until it splits. And then <laughs> when it does, we you can do it with two hands, you know, pull one out, drop the other one in. And that's why you shouldn't do the basket up leave it loose mm. you know mm. the snare's not going to fly off into the air right. yeah and um yeah and then uh he just he just plays the snare on the second tone so he's out your way yeah. yeah and you have to you have to make all these arrangements so you know exactly what to do when there's a, a bit That's of a disaster yeah 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 and it's it's so easy you know and he does it and then as soon as i'm out the way he just brings his hand back down and carries on as before never missing a beat no. Hey, Don, no. our, our friend, Mike Edison, author no. of Sympathy for the Drummer, Why Charlie Watts Matters, a great book, <laughs> yeah. is, is asking you um, what bass drum head Charlie uses live and in the studio. Um, right now, it's, the, it's a PS3, Power Stroke 3. Power Stroke. Uh, that's cool. changed a couple times. Uh, we, I've also... That's the standard right now because it's a really solid, solid head and it sounds fantastic. But uh, there's also the Aquarium Deep Vintage too, 
which um, we've messed around with a little bit, which is a fantastic sound. It's a great sound. So, but what he has, he's had on this kit now has been the Power Stroke 3. And it's solid. And it, the ambassador on the front with a hole right in the center of the five and a half inch hole in the center. And it sounds, it sounds fantastic. And Mike, great job on the book, man. Sympathy for the drummer. No doubt. You did a good job. Yard, if you haven't heard that yet, or if you haven't read it, you should, you should definitely read it. I haven't read it. I was looking for my copy so I could give him a plug and I don't know what I did with it. It might be downstairs, but I was going to hold it up. Here, I, I got something for you. Yeah? But I'll second Don's recommendation on sympathy for the drummer. Why, why Charlie Watts matters. A great read. Yard, you should definitely read it. Maybe Michael send you a copy. Oh yeah. Maybe he'll, <laughs> maybe he'll send you one. I'll track. Look at that. Oh yeah. I don't have one of those. Oh man, you gotta get one of these t-shirts and everything. T oh, I gotta get a t-shirt. I gotta get it. Mike Edison, you're holding out on me, man. Oh, well, he's. We just got a little thanks from Mike. That's you're welcome, Mike. Um. So you know, I was gonna have you guys. We're doing. We're doing well on time. It's just about an hour. We, you guys can go a few more minutes. I was just going to have you guys yeah. talk about what you do um, sort of in the, in the way of your, your custom shops. And I know both of you guys are, you know, Yard, you've got your vintage shop and you, you do custom work, as you said, and Don, I know you do yeah. all sorts of custom work. So. Um, yeah, well, uh, you know, we do the usual stuff. We do rewraps, you know, cut downs, bearing edges, Add hardware, you know, for people who thought Virgin bass drums were cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those people, <laughs> and um, and they can't can't quite position their tom properly. <laughs> and 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 the people I work with teach me a lot. You know, they taught me everything really, because when you when you're doing your own drum kit, you tune it to how you like it, and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. But once you start working for people, you kind of have to pay attention. And it and that's why I like working for the bigger bands, because you kind of we go into rehearsals for like sometimes it's like a month or two weeks or whatever, but it gives you time to get in into it all, to get the sound in your head and know what's what. You get to know the set list and you know exactly when you can go in and do something without getting in the way. And that's mm -hmm. the great thing about it. So you learn the songs, you know exactly when he's going to spin round with a fill or play that cymbal, you know, and you're watching, you're watching everything. If the wing nuts are unwinding and the hi-hat clutch is spinning around, yeah. all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You're watching the pedals, you know, to see if the linkage goes. <laughs> and and that's what you paid for. You know, you watch once they're on stage. And Zach taught me that really. You know, he, he's he's on it, you know, he, he loves a good sounding kit. Everything's got to be in the same spot every day. And and that discipline is what I passed on to all the other drummers I've worked with. You know, it's like, yeah, it's crucial that everything, snare angle, you name it, it's all got to be done, you know. And and that, when I look back, I think, yeah, that was Zach, you know. He's very precise about what he does. But in, in the shop, you know, as, as well as that, I do studio sessions and, you know, kit rental and all that kind of stuff. 
we just work to have in my job and And I look after all their artists in Europe. So we do that as well. But I don't take on too much because I, I don't ever want it to be run like a business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to get to that just making money. I, I like to have a, you know, when I, I, I do about four or five months a year touring and now I just want to go home. And that's spread over a year. It's not all in one hit. Yeah. And I, I kind of like getting home. And the shop is where I can unwind and do stuff and keep in touch. And the shop was opened, really, for me to do something when I weren't on the road. That's it. You know, instead of construction, I just thought, you know, I prefer doing this. And, and it's been great for keeping in touch with people and the whole thing. But I, I got away from wanting to run it like a business, you know, and then the money takes over and then... I don't know, it kind of just goes down because it's never been about the money for me. I just wanted to earn enough to pay my way and have a nice life. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, when it comes to drums, we, we fix everything, wrap everything, and, and that's it really. It's just to keep us happy and hopefully the customer. Yeah. But there's a price, there's a cost to doing that, and, and yeah. you charge a, a fair price. Yeah. Uh, you can't you can't be everybody you can't do it for free for everybody but no yeah you, but you've got no. to be able to yeah that's that's the thing you know if everyone writes to me and you know they've contacted about half a dozen other people to see who's got the lowest price and I remember talking to my dad years ago and my parents had restaurants and we we built a shop I remember that. and I said and I said to him I said you know how do you how do you put your prices together and he told me a very valuable thing two things one is no one's indispensable and the other thing was he said I could halve my prices but why work twice as hard for the same amount of money and that stuck with me since I was 16 yeah you know and and he's right you know it's kind of this is the same with construction you know people used to say to me well so and so is cheaper than you and I said, well, you're free to get them. You know, but the way we work is this way, uh, and that's what it costs. You know, you, you've got the option of shopping around, but when you come to me, that's what I want when I finish. And we all work in different ways. You know, as I've seen some kits absolutely butchered by people adding stuff to them, and, you know, they obviously haven't got the correct tools and stuff. And so now I'm very reluctant to buy any kits on the internet because you see pictures, but when you actually take them apart, it's kind of quite brutal inside, mm-hmm. you know, just through people messing and changing hardware. And I've seen kits that are virtually worthless after someone has kind of tried to do it up. That's too bad. That's too bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Don, do you have any, um, any stories about any of the custom work you've done or, you know, I've been, I've been getting more and more into that um, now that we're off the road and got a lot of time on our hands. A lot of time on our hands. So there's yeah. a lot of projects uh, that I'm starting to finish up. Um, a lot of music projects and things like that. But uh, playing music, but restoration projects. I've, I've been doing a lot of stuff. I, I restored all of Charlie's uh, uh, Stones kits that he still has. Yeah. And, uh, for the exhibition, the Stones exhibition. You know, so that kind of keeps me busy, which is good. You know, tour the world, 
like the show that never happened, you know, it set up the, the studio or set up the, uh, the backstage area or the guitar gallery. Um, but people come to see that the stones never, never show up, you know? Yeah. Um, I recently, I did a restoration for the Rudy Van Gelder studio, which was really, uh, really, really special. There's a kit that had been in the Rudy Van Gelder uh, studio since 1959. So Jimmy Cobb would have played on that. Yeah. Uh, Alvin Jones would have played on those drums. And, yeah. Uh, wow. Different, different things. I mean, yesterday I delivered a kit yesterday, which was an acrylite that was just in absolutely terrible shape and broken in half. I had to, I had to get it, you know, so to say. Um, but it was this guy's <laughs> kit, you know, that, I mean, it, it was three times the cost. I had to charge him three times the cost to get it back running because it would have, would have cost him to buy one. Yeah. But it was his, it was his childhood kit. So he just loved the idea of it. So I got it the best I could and I got it dialed in. Um, uh, re restoring uh, uh, the drummer for Spiritualized, Kevin Bales restored his snare drum after it burnt up at um, Hammersmith Ballroom, you know, those kind of things. Uh, <laughs> You know, little little bits, and then my next door neighbor has a has a cool kit that he wants to restore. So I'm I'm getting into that a lot more. Yeah, yeah. But um, I just you know I've been doing that. I've been buying drums for the past 25 years, vintage drums, and now I'm sitting here with a 1,500 square foot space full of vintage drums I have to restore and hopefully sell. Yeah, but I, I uh, you just that's, that's you just re needed, you, know? <laughs> you just reminded me, Don. I, another club, talking yeah. about talking about restorations, I got a phone call a few years back, not that long ago, from a friend of mine who's just passed away, Roy Williams, who he's he does front of house and stuff, and he's he's from the Black Country in in the UK, which mm -hmm. is the Midlands area, and he worked. He's known, grown up with Robert Plant and stuff, and uh, he called me up, and he, and he said. Uh, he said, Joe, he said, um, I've got a kit here that, that needs restoring because we want to auction it. And uh, I said, okay. So he said, it, it belongs to Robert. It's in his studio at home. And it was all hush-hush at the time. And so I went over to his place, which is about four, four and a half hours drive from my place. And... Uh, and then I thought, do I take it home or, you know, what I did? It was, it was one of John Bonham's original Ludwigs. Wow. Say that. Wow. Exactly. And so then Robert said to me, do you want to take it with you? And I thought, right, he's given me permission. <laughs> I was thinking of all sorts of, I thought, what if I crash on the way home? <laughs> what if I'm, I'm robbed? <laughs> yeah, what if I park and get a sandwich? And I come out, it's gone. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I, I got back to the shop, put it in the shop. And uh, and it's a, bit, it's a bit like construction work. When you, when you do work on, because I used to work on old properties, and you've got to work on them, but, but make it look like you haven't done any work. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Perfect restoration. Preser preservation. Yeah. Preservation yeah. for yep. you. <laughs> and uh, so I got it home, and I told my boys. My, all my all my kids are huge Zeppelin fans, and uh, and my son said, 
don't let it go till I touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the excitement I like, you know. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I restored it without changing anything, you know. Left the original heads on, Ludwig heads and stuff. Ludwig coated heads? or yeah. they the coated. Coated heads, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Left all that on, you know, covered in dirt. You know, other drummers, if I'd have shown a picture of it, other drummers would have said, oh, you've got to change the heads like they do with Gad. You know, yeah. I change Gad's heads one at a time. You know, he'll say to me, he'll get off the kit and he'll say, let's change the 12 tomorrow. And that's it. You know? And that's, and that's what you've got to do. You just listen to them. They tell you what they want. You don't take it upon yourself. Unless so it's really bad and then you can do it. But, um, yeah, so I fixed the kit up, took it back over to Roberts, and he, he gave me two box sets. And he signed Led Zeppelin II, which was the one that got me. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. man, and yeah, and uh, and it was the proudest proudest moment that those those the bottom kits. Yeah, uh, you know, I think Zoe has the green one, the green Vista light, but otherwise than that, otherwise, I mean, there's no bottom kits to be known out there. So you worked on something. Well, yeah, was yeah, it more sparkle? Was it was it a it, it was a dark black diamond pearl. Black diamond pearl. Okay. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. Similar. Mm. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. But it was um. Yeah. So I took it back, and uh, he he wasn't there when I got back. He was recording, and um, then he called me up, and it, and he said, you know. I want to. I want to buy some. You know, can you? Because I, I didn't charge him. I, I said, no, no, no. I said, I can't charge him. And so he called me up and he said, Well, why don't you supply me a set of feisty symbols? Sorry, to mention. <laughs> Great symbols. Same, the same. The same setup that John used. You know. Yeah. So I did that, and the firm that supplied me, they they're down the road from. You know, I got it from Cool, but um, there's, there's a firm that supply me that are down the road from, you know, 10 minutes from Robert's house. And so he popped in there and it was just a great time. I just thought I could never imagine this happening, ever. Man. You know? Well, that's why you guys are who you are. You know what I mean? You get those calls to do that. Well, it's just sheer chance, you know. And, and we, you know, the, Robert had su supported The Who in around 2000 and one, two, something like that in America. And then a couple of years later, um, Jimmy Page and the Black Crows supported the Who. So I ended up. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I have great. I, I just just got me on this subject, uh, on that subject yard, talking about preservation, <laughs> to quote our friend Don McCauley. Um, <laughs> and Don, you were talking about exhibitionism. And, and just recently, there were some pictures up on a drum forum that I, be that I belong to called drumform.org. I think there's probably some guys watching right now that are on it. Uh, yeah, I'm and, on, I'm on there as well. Good drum. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and they were commenting on Charlie's uh, Sky Blue Pearl, his Ludwig kit. Mm -hmm. And I know you didn't, you, you, you restored all that stuff. And maybe you could talk about that because they look, I saw those, you know, from three feet away and they look unbelievable. That was, uh, yeah, that was, I took my time. It, that was a lot, yeah. I took my time. I went to London um, when they were all getting ready for that and just starting to, to build the exhibition. 
and really figure out how they wanted to design it. And they were talking about putting it, you know, behind glass and over in the corner. And I said, no, 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 this has to be front and center. Everybody should walk around this kit and see every aspect of this kit that they want to. Um, so the pressure was on. So I unearthed it. The stuff had, had been just in its original cases and it was very musty and uh, a lot of rust. And of course, the original heads, which I put right back on, but you know, not to make it look like it wasn't played, but I also, in the back of my mind, thought there's a chance that we might get up and play this set. You never know. I just want to be prepared. I just, like, it's, like they're actually going to, uh, you know, step inside like the Black Nitron kit, step inside and play that kit. Who knows? Yeah. Yep. So I got it prepared to be exhibited as well as playable. Um, and there was just years and years of just a, a lot of nasty, gross stuff on there. Um, shined it right up, got it, got it cleaned up. Um, using felt only, never steel wool, of course, you know, never, yeah, just yeah. being, being very meticulous <laughs> with what you do, you know, doing it right and take your time to do it right. Um, and then getting it right and, and showing the right kind of lights on the drum, where, where the lights kind of shine at the exhibition. Um, and un unfortunately the snare was missing. So I had a superphonic. Um, oh, okay. That kid is a 65. Yeah. Uh, Perfect. You know, and, and checking if so I had, I had one of those. So I loaned, I loaned that out to the, the exhibition. And I think actually Charlie bought that anyway. But yeah. Um, the, the one thing about it was finding the right seat. Like what seat did he use back in then? But everything was black and white. So, <laughs> You know, getting the provenance together for all that stuff, um, the exhibition company was was pushing me to get all the provenance together for that. So I did a lot of research, and of course they want that yesterday. And I says, I'm not going to sign off on anything until Charlie Watt says this is what it is. Yeah. Yep. Sure enough, I did. He, he, he took his time as he does and uh, verified everything. <laughs> And uh, come to find out, it's one of those red seats. It's a red top seat, uh, oh, Ludwig. Okay, yep. you know, but you really wouldn't have known that if because there's all these black and white photos from the '60s. So we, we got it right down to the exact time, you know, period correct items. Um, yes. All all the stuff. It has to be right. Yeah, it's there's no way to to mess around. You can't mess around with that. It has to be perfect. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, having seen seen it a couple of times and. And the Ludwig kit and the the Gretsch Black Nitrons, which are so close to me in my heart, are just top sign bad. Yeah. yeah, they look like they were from 1972. They looked unbelievable, and and those Charlie, were those were in bad shape. Yeah, I know <laughs> yeah. that you told me that, and Charlie once told me years ago that he still had everything, like every cymbal he'd ever cracked, pretty much every um, yeah. every drum. You know, years ago before you had had taken this project on, he said they're sitting in the warehouse and. So for you to, that must have been unbelievable to, to unearth all that and the, the sort of yeah. history that just came pouring out, you know? Oh, it's, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to, to help him in that sense. And, I, and I, um, I come from a family of antique restoration guys. My grandfather was, he worked in furniture. My dad works in furniture, but restoring pieces. And, and you just have to know that, as you said before, we don't do panic. We just 
you have to be meticulous um, in what you do. Uh, and so that's that's the biggest part of it. I mean, yeah. all of it, his, his entire collection, I mean, there's an amazing amount of drones that should never be changed. It's exactly as they were. Maybe dusted, but nothing else. No. Nothing else. Right. Right. It's, so, it's, it's strange you talking about the provenance because I, I do stuff at Abbey Road and different studios, but mainly Abbey Road, where we're doing drum samples. And uh, and, they're, and they're very certain symbols, very, very particular. Uh, it's all the correct stuff. You know, and they'll keep checking, you know, year is drum, what year is this snare drum, and the whole thing. And it has to be spot on. You can't win it. Yeah, you're not going to say this is a seven. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if it was mine or <laughs> you got a little garbly. It might have been my connection. I don't know, but could, could be me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, before I, I don't want to miss this question. Um, our friend Jim Turner was asking Don, um, does Charlie ever crack his 18 UFIP on tour? And we know the answer to that question. And why does he not get a nice, comfortable DW throne? And we know the answer to that too, but I'm going to let you answer, John. Yeah, let me ask him about that. I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah, you still have plenty of... That's, plenty of that's a typical gym question, that is. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's yep. like when I'm setting up at venues, people, the crew come up to me and they say, why is he using that pedal? I said, because he likes it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, why else? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to get one of those nice BW 9000. Yeah. 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 They, they, they do it to me all the time. You know, it's like, well, he chooses what he likes. The know, Charlie Mojo, what man. Yeah. So it, the, it's Mojo. It's yeah. Mojo. You know, it's, uh, it's familiarity. Um, he probably knows when certain cracks on his, on the leather on his seat broke. You know, it was, it's, it's a time period. Um, and plus, you know, what are you going to tell the kids in 30 years from now, 40 years? I mean, you know, hey, he did it. He did it just fine with that seat right there. And he's playing yeah. just fine. That's um, right. Exactly. I mean, I do worry about his back, you know. I worry about his back and his sitting, but hey, that's what he's accustomed to. But, um, yeah. but, but the, with, with a symbol, yeah, he, he cracks them and uh, he cracks them here and there. I, I think he's trying to crack them. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he's. He's really trying his best to make, you know, smash it out. That thing. And if he, he's a Wembley Whammer for all. Yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, I watch that a lot. And it, even if it's going a little bit, he starts to tell him he, his ear is good. He's got a really good ear for this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. knows, hey, this one's going, you know. Let's not get rid of it right now. Yeah. But let's, yeah. Uh, let's just watch it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gad, Gad and Zach the same. You know, Zach yeah. can tell me there's a crack. And, and eventually you'll find it. You think, does he know that? Oh, yeah. you can hear. Well, yeah, you know, you can hear it. You can hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he knows. He knows instantly. I've I've oh. worked with some guys, and I know Yard. You've worked for some guys that, you know, you change the head heads out every single show, and you shine and polish the symbols, and you're changing snares out, and you're like, man, you're just getting used to these. You're just getting used to these heads, and you're just getting yeah. used to the symbol. Yeah, and, and you're keeping all the great. Tone personally, yeah. I think all the tone but, out. Yeah, yeah, but that's 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 what you know. Gad says, you know, we we leave his heads on there for ages, you know, and um, I think, well, I'm working for him. You know, people say to me, you know, tell him. I say, 
I work for him. It's not the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and he knows he knows what he's doing. And uh, it, it always makes me laugh when they say, "Tell him." <laughs> you can take a hairdryer and, and, yeah. and tighten up the plastic. You know, yeah. Yeah. it's not it's not even when they dip. It's like the heads are fine because yeah. of his because he uses the black sticks. Yeah, I have a they, right. they mark the heads, and everyone seems to go by how they look rather than how they sound. Right. You know, and the good thing about Charlie and Steve is they go by how they sound. And, um, right. you know, it's like when I worked with Steve Jordan, you know, we, we had a dozen snares behind him. And I'd mark them down during the set as to the switch outs and stuff. And then at first I thought, 12 snares. But when he actually does it, you realise why he does it. You know, he gets that, he gets that tone just right for the track. And... And in the end, you think, yeah, that's great. Well, he's a music yeah. producer, though, too. So, his ear is built right on. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, he came over, he called me, and he came, he called, he came over with Robert Cray to yeah, do a TV was, show. Yeah. And uh, he called me up. He said, Yeah, I'm coming over. Of course, he calls me like a couple of days for his due. And so he said, uh, We're going we're gonna to do Jules Holland. So I said, Okay. And uh, so I, I got an old Rogers kit, which he, he loves Rogers. And uh, so I got it together, an old silver big R, which he loves, and prepped it all, took it down there, set it up. And uh, while I set it up, he turned up and he just stood there, grinning away to himself. <laughs> and I said, I said, what's up? He said, that is the exact same kit I've got in my studio. Oh, wow. <laughs> same colour, everything. Okay. He couldn't believe it. And he said, well, let's make this easy. He said, take all the bottom heads off and we just do it single-headed, make the whole show dead easy. Wow. And it was cool as you like. And oh, wow. I loved working for him. You know, you know Artie Smith is his guy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, it was fabulous, you know, and we did a – US tour together and the whole thing. And he's got this infectious enthusiasm, which I love. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of wants to play. He gets on the kit and he does some great fills and you just think, yeah. yeah. But he's never lost that buzz of playing. Yeah. Oh, he's a great player. He's a, yeah. He's a, yeah. Hey, I just got to, I got, I'm going to throw one more question to Don um, from David Robert Malicote, Malicote, Malicote. And uh, asking about the black mark on the symbol, did it come from a firework? I think he's talking about Charlie's old Piesty. Yeah. Um, know that. <laughs> um, the bomb. The bomb. Uh, I think David, yeah, David worked at the um, Musicians Hall of Fame in, in Nashville when he did the exhibition there. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he was one of the guys that was uh, running the show over there. I think. Pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a Piesty uh 602 602 yeah yeah 16 or 18 i think it's a 16 it's got the crack and you can see where it shoots or maybe maybe it goes back to stew it could have gone it actually went way back to stew but drilled out you yeah. know along the crack and kept on kept on uh, doing it. the story that i i was told by charlie was somebody threw an m80 uh firecracker whatever at, at the stage and it blew up on the symbol on the symbol yeah and he calls it the bomb the bomb, <laughs> and that's actually displayed 
uh, with the exhibition that's displayed. I don't know. I don't know if it was on his Sky Blue Pearl kit, but because it was so cool, um, I put that on there. Yeah, yeah. I think he symbols that were on there. I think he got that kit right as he was transitioning. Sorry, sorry that symbol. Yeah, I think he got it in '68 as he was transitioning from the Ludwig to the, to his first Gretsch kit to the round badge black nitron. Yeah, yeah, I I think so because I I hear it on like. Beggar's Banquet, I think, for the first time in 68. That would make sense. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some of the symbols he has are just, just gorgeous. I mean, the, the hats are the classic. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I know. Um, all of them, they're just wonderful symbols. Yeah. His, his crowd roar on his right, what he's told me is that it's a crowd, it's like the crowd roaring, you know, and it's a, yeah. it's a squish. Uh, UFIP's Wish 18 um, experience, or uh, like the experience, and it's the crowd roar over there. Yeah. Know. Like, uh, yeah, all sorts of good stuff. Well, guys, I, I'm thinking we should probably wrap it up because um, we're going a long time and you guys probably are getting tired and thirsty. Um, any parting, any last words you guys want to offer? Advice to up and coming drum techs and um, find the best pub find the best pub in london <laughs> no ask this man right here ask yard <laughs> then, I, don't I don't really drink <laughs> so what he did to john when we used to go out <laughs> yeah but uh it, it's just luck to be honest there's, there's no way of coming into the business and it's just luck of who you meet and what you do, you know. Um, I can't. I get asked a lot by people saying, "How do I get in the business?" and "How do I get to here?" And I get calls from drum techs who who say to me, "You know, I want to go up to the next level." And and really, there's no such thing. You know, it's kind of just do what you do, mm. and hopefully one day someone will notice. It might take you a little while, but don't get impatient. You know, and the only way you can do it, you've got to be really calm as a person. So when something does happen, you don't panic. And that's probably your strong point. But, but my, I've always thought my strong point was being pragmatic and having a carpentry background. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's, that's really helped. Because no matter what happens, you sort of think, well, I can fix that, I can sort that. You know? and, that and that's it really, it's just stay calm. Don't get too impatient. Um, be nice to have around. And if people like you, they'll employ you. Perfect. That's, yeah. That's it, that's it, really. Yeah. If they don't like you, you won't get it. Yeah. You know. Don, anything to add? Um, well, you know, I think, I think what we're dealing with right now with this pandemic and everything that's going on, I think it's going to be really tough for a lot of the younger guys that, that are uh, coming up. I don't think that they've got a, a handle on on what to do because not I shouldn't say a good enough handle that if, if you haven't had enough experience of what yeah. it used to be like, yeah, you know, we're like pre, you know, um, this whole incident. I was out with you two recently with Larry Mullen and helping out just a quick little thing, and we had a fantastic tour. We all just talked about the next thing that's going to happen that I may or may not be involved in, but they said, 
the production manager said, just sharpen your skills. Learn everything you possibly can. Um, Sound-wise, just get involved. Don't let the, the sound man or the, the, the monitor engineer, yeah. you know, you have to be on the same wavelength. You have to be in the garden together. You have to work mm -hmm. together. Because you yeah, got to yeah. find, it's not about you, it's not about him. It's about the drummer that's going to be stepping up to that drum kit. And yeah. you have to really sharpen your skills. And if that means, you know, working in the sound world for a while, well, then you're going to have to do that. You're going to have yeah. to look and yeah. get involved in that. And yeah. We're fortunate to do that. But but also, like, yeah. like Yard was saying, we don't panic. You know, yeah. you something panic, goes you wrong. Don't, you, you don't do panic. Because if you do, yeah. it's going to be noticed. You're going to be the yeah. guy running across the stage. Yeah. Everybody's trying to poker face. They're trying to keep yeah, cool. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, first, first of all, Don, I'm, uh, I don't know why Sammy called you and not me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, help yeah. him, I help him out, you know. Me and Dallas. Very <laughs> last Yeah. No, but, um, yeah, a few years back, we were on stage, and, and you probably get it as well, where everyone who's technical because I don't do anything that plugs in unless it's my laptop, my coffee machine, or a drill. It's just like if, if, if there's electronics flashing away by the kit, I just think, nah, it's not, it's not me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm an acoustic man. And it's never interested me, still doesn't. And I'll do a little bit if the drummer shows me how it goes together. But, that's, but if anything goes down, they know I'll just put my hands up and it's like, it's your problem, you know. Yeah. And um, But we were on tour. And we we're doing an arena tour, and our monitor desk went down. Just all the lights went, and I just sat there in my chair, and there were people running around the stage, and doing sorts of stuff on the bus. They said, "You know, I don't know what I'm doing. So if if I came and helped you, I'd just get in the way." So I left it to all the all the people that do it for a living, you know, and that's the way you should do it. If you don't know, keep out of the way. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you're not that's helping. You're just getting on people's nerves by asking questions that you don't know anything about. And that's why I do everything. But when it comes to drums, I don't want anyone coming to me either. It's just like, this is my gig. Leave me alone. You do what you do and I'll do what I do. Because it, it throws your thinking. My wife tells me that at dinner time every night. And I try to when I try to help her, <laughs> but that's that's it really. It's just like the, the way to get ahead is just like riding your luck, yeah. getting the calls. You know, we've all we've all got where we are through someone giving us a, a call and a help, okay. and and then just being decent. 